I love listening to kids sing, especially about my king. Uh, we often make these things too hard, too complicated. And we say we have more questions and we have more doubts and we have more fears. Uh, and kids just have a way of making the simple things simple. Jesus is our king and he is worthy of our praise. Well, it is good to be with you. Uh, I know the offering plates have already passed, but I just wanted to encourage you with a word here from Luke 21. Luke 21, it says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they had contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Uh, it reminded me of uh, a few years ago, I was speaking downstairs to our awesome adventures to some children about just what God was doing around the world through missionaries. And as I was leaving the class, this little kid bolted toward me and he gave me a quarter and he said, I want you to have all my money. And I want you to give this to God's people. And God doesn't, whether you can give a lot or a little by the world's standards, God is worthy of our best. Giving God our best. And so that's why we take up an offering to show God that he is worthy of our everything. And it's in him we put our hope and our trust. He's worthy of our everything. So we need to give God our best when we give. Um, we are going to take a break from our King David series today, um, this week and next week as Easter approaches. But we're going to still talk about kings. So don't worry. For all you king lovers out there, uh, we, I don't know, let's go with it. Uh, so uh, we're going to talk about kings today. And uh, in my junior year at Messiah College, I got to study abroad at Oxford University. And before you're too jealous about that, I got to spend almost my entire semester um, studying the role of the monarchy in Europe in the 1500s and its impact on religious life. Awesome, right? I mean, that's a great way to spend a semester. Some of my other friends traveled abroad and never studied. I was in the library studying the role of monarchy on religious life in the 1500s. It was great. Uh, but one of, the, the, one of the things that made it great uh, was I got to study in this library. Take a, take a look at this, this library here. This is called the Radcliffe Camera. So most days I was found in the Radcliffe Camera studying the religious life uh, of people in Europe in the 1500s. And, and one thing in particular that was stunning and will always be memorable is I found out while I was studying Queen Elizabeth that they had her actual handwritten journals and letters and her reflections on religious life, some of them. And I thought I could touch them because they were in the library. And, and so I made an appointment and I had to do it a week out. And, and, and I went to the appointment and they brought me through security, went through one layer of security and then another layer of security. And then I, I, I thought I was about to touch these things. It was going to be great. Uh, and I was so excited because I was fascinated by Queen Elizabeth the first and her impact in religious life in the 1500s. This is the kind of person I was. I don't know if we would have been friends. But I, 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 I was so excited. My wife and I always joke that we're glad we didn't meet in college because we probably wouldn't, we probably wouldn't work out. So uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, so, uh, so anyway, moving on. Um, 
I, I was so excited. And so I passed through these layers of security. And then I had to meet with this intimidating guy uh, who read me a whole list of rules that I had to sign off on that burst my bubble. I would not get to be touching Queen Elizabeth's stuff. And instead, uh, he ushered me into this moisture-controlled room with tons of security cameras looking at this single desk in the middle of the room, and I was the only one in the room. And um, except for this intimidating guy, as I sat down in the chair, and the stuff that I wanted and requested was before me. This intimidating guy was standing right over my shoulder uh, with white gloves on, watching to make sure I didn't touch anything. And anything I needed moved or adjusted, or if I wanted to turn a page, I could not touch it, he would do it for me. It was so cool. <laughs> and I only got 30 minutes, but it was a memorable experience. And in thinking about our, our question for today, why would a king choose to die? I was struck by uh, the reality that as cool as that was, every single day, we get to study and read the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God who made the heavens and the earth, the God who hung the stars, the God who made you, me, certainly made my incredible wife. The, that God, his words, we get to use for free. We get to study for free and we can do it anytime. And people in the past and people in the present are dying for even possessing this book. But they do it anyway. They do it courageously because it's worth reading. And so if you, if you know that I'm an excitable guy, generally, but when I was thinking about how much I loved getting to spend time with Queen Elizabeth's stuff, and I didn't get to touch it, but now I get to touch, we get to touch God's word, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. That is awesome. So next week is Easter. Who's excited for Easter? I mean, we're Christians. This is Easter. Who's excited for Easter? Okay, okay, we'll get there, we'll get there. I'm excited for Easter too. I'm excited to celebrate my resurrected king. I can't wait for Sunday. And in this season of leading up to Easter, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I sometimes forget the intentional choices in the last five days from the triumphal entry to his, to his death on, on the cross, how many intentional choices Jesus made to choose to die for me. And so this morning, I want us to look at, and this week, I would encourage you to look at, because we're only going to look at a few stories. I would encourage you to slow down, pick one of the Gospels, and read from the triumphal entry. Uh, like in John, it starts in 12. Um, and, and like, yeah, John in 12. Like start in John, in verse, chapter 12, and just go through to the end. And just think about, throughout the week, the ways that God chose to die for you and me and everyone that you can encounter. Um, he made so many intentional choices and I want us to look at that this morning. So why would a king choose to die? Well, first we have to look at what is the role of a king? What is the role of a king? Why does a king choose to do anything? Well, the role of a king, and, and trust me, I've spent a lot of time uh, in the library when I could have been traveling the world doing fun stuff. I was in the library studying about kings. And uh, the role of a king is three things. The role of a king is to know his people, his power, and his purpose. The role of a king is to know his people, his power, and his purpose. To know his people, their vulnerabilities, and the vulnerabilities of the kingdom. To know his power and how he can use that to maximum effect. And his purpose, a king's purpose, 
is to use his powers to maximum effect to protect his people and bring about thriving in the kingdom. Ultimately, the role of a king is to use his power to maximum effect to protect his people and bring about thriving in the kingdom. So that's what kings are supposed to do. So was Jesus a king? Was Jesus a king? Well, today is, is Palm Sunday, five days before the crucifixion. And you may have this image in your head. It's, it, I think we've got a picture of it. The triumphal entry where Jesus uh, was riding into Jerusalem. The triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. And everyone in the crowd was so excited. What we see, we, we often forget when we think about this moment, just what was happening just before. So I just want to, um, just before there was a stir about Jesus. A couple days before there was a stir about Jesus. Now there was always a stir about Jesus because, you know, it's Jesus. Um, but there was a particular like beehive hornet's nest stir about Jesus right before. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And that would be crazy, right? If that happened today, those videos would have 350 million views on YouTube. And like people would be like, who is this guy? And all of the stuff. Instead of cats, we'd be talking about Jesus raising someone from the dead. That would be better. Um, but uh, right, before this, right before the triumphal entry, uh, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And in John eleven forty seven, some chief priests and Pharisees are talking about this. And this is what this says. I, I added this, so it's not on the screen, but it says, all the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Cephas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who, would, who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And if you skip down to verse 40, 57, it says this, now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, knew where Jesus was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So this is right before the triumphal entry. So there were people trying to find him, the people who wanted to worship him and heard about him raising Lazarus from the dead. And they wanted to see what was all the fuss about. They wanted to see him and follow him and worship him. And then there was other people, these religious leaders, who were, who were trying to find him and kill him. And I don't know about you, but if someone was trying to find me and kill me, I would hide. But Jesus didn't choose to hide. He chose to come into Jerusalem. And he didn't just come into Jerusalem. He came through the main road to Jerusalem. And it's a narrow road where, where there's hills on both sides. And he came through the road where there was nowhere, uh, he couldn't get away. He was, made an intentional choice to come openly. And he didn't just come in Jerusalem. He came on a colt. Here's where this was. Here's where this was. Uh, beginning uh, John 12, beginning in verse 12. Let's, let's read this about his triumphal entry. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, 
sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. We'll come back to that. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. This Jesus who was raising people from the dead and people were searching for him um, to praise him and searching for him to kill him. He didn't hide. He rode into Jerusalem. And he rode in on a colt. A donkey is often associated with humility. It's a peace, uh, peace-filled animal, not like a regal horse. Um, a, a donkey, uh, and not just a donkey, a, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And in doing so, for those of you that aren't familiar, Jesus was making a claim as king. In hundreds of years before Jesus was, was born, uh, Zechariah 9.9 Uh, was written. And this is what that says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having a salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, friends, in the Old Testament, the Bible says that the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one that we've all been looking for, uh, would come riding in on a donkey. So by Jesus riding in on the colt, the foal of a donkey, he was claiming to be king. People witnessing Jesus' triumphal entry were eager to worship him and praise him as their king, for they needed a rescuer. By riding on the colt, he was claiming to be king, but not just claiming to be king because of the colt. Throughout the last five days of his life, people kept asking him if he was a king. So he was claiming to be king, people asking him for a king. Even Pilate at the very end of his life said, here is the king of the Jews. By riding on a colt, he claimed to be king. But he also claimed as riding on a colt to be the king of kings, the Messiah. In preparing for today, I learned that there were over 300 prophecies. There were 300 prophecies that looking back, Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. There were 300 prophecies of the Messiah and what the Messiah would have to be and predictions over a thousand year period that ended hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Things out of typical man's control. Uh, Things like the place of his birth, the time of birth, the manner of birth, the betrayal, the manner of death, people's reactions, piercing of his body, his burial. Jesus fulfilled every single one. Uh, there's this book that, that I would highly recommend. It's Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. And it looks at these 300 plus prophecies. And I would encourage you to read it. But in, in preparing for today, I read this story that researchers figured out, they calculated what it would take to fulfill even eight of these prophecies. Not 300, but just eight. Um, and, and they figured out that the mathematical probability of fulfilling just eight of these prophecies was like taking a particular silver dollar and then mixing it with so many silver dollars that you could fill the entire state of Texas two feet deep. And then asking someone to go out and find the particular dollar, silver dollar that you hid and getting it right the first time. That's for eight, eight prophecies, not over 300 
blows your mind. So he, he made a, a claim as king, but he also was making a claim as king of kings, and the evidence supports that he was. And why is that important to our question of why did a king choose to die? In order for that to happen, that means that the God who created the heavens and the earth before the formation of the world chose very intentionally how he would send his son, use his power to send his son to live and die on the cross for us. Since the formation of the earth, Jesus chose to come from heaven to earth to live and die for us. His claim as king by riding on a donkey is clear. And you may still have questions in the last five days of his life and, and many of his disciples throughout the history of his public life, Jesus, uh, people had questions, even to the last day. It wasn't from a lack of evidence. It was for doubt and fear. Accepting that Jesus is a king, we have to remember that a king chooses his actions based on his people, his power, and his purpose. A king wouldn't choose to do anything to hurt his people, abuse his power, or, or he wouldn't do anything that didn't bring about thriving in the kingdom. Because remember, a king's purpose is to use his power to maximum effect to protect his people and bring about thriving in the kingdom. So why would a king choose to die? I want to give you three reasons today why a king would choose to die. Number one, we look in the wrong places for security. His people were looking in the wrong places for security. He knows his people. Throughout history, we've been looking for our king. We've been looking for our savior. And he knows his people. He knows that we need a king. He knows that we've been looking for a savior. He knows that we were in need of a savior. But no matter how many battles that God won for us, we always found ways to not claim him as our king. We always found ways to look for security in different places. And we couldn't find him. His riding in on a colt, the foal of a donkey, is an intentional choice to declare himself as king. But it's also an intentional choice to show that he's willing to die for us, to be humble. Whether we acknowledge him as our king or not, he is coming for us. Because we've been searching in all the wrong places. And even if we don't find him while he's here with us on earth, he still came for us. We were just looking for the wrong places in security, for security. Here's what it says in John 12, verse 42 through 43. John 12, 42 through 43. This is what it says. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. He knows we want glory from man. He knows we want credit. He knows that we want to be part of that glory. Since the beginning of humanity, he knows that we've been looking for the wrong, in the wrong places. We wanted to find our king, identify him, and then thank him for being our savior. We couldn't imagine that our king, our savior, wouldn't be someone that we participated in giving glory to and rising to power. 
So we look to kings of, uh, the kings of history. We look to the kings of security. And today we look to things that don't even look like kings. We look to things that make us feel good or temporarily happy or make us feel better for a second and then it fades away. It's not from a lack of evidence that Jesus is our king of kings. It's from a lack of willingness to trust and obey that he is our king. That pride that we exhibit is counterbalanced with his humility. We are looking in the wrong places. Throughout all of human history, we have said, God, show us how to live. And then he does. And we say we will, and then we don't. And then he says, I forgive you. We say we will, we'll follow you. And then we don't. Over and over and over. The God who has won so many battles for us, the the God who has liberated his people so many times, we kept looking for security in all the wrong places. And we didn't believe this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords, who has, who has won so many victories for us. So he humbled himself on the cross to die for us. He used all the powers that he had to descend from heaven to earth to come and die on the cross for us because we were looking for security in all the wrong places. All the wrong places. His humility is evidence that he chose to come. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Whether you're one of those people who musters up courage occasionally and declares your allegiance to our God, come what may, or you're the kind of Christian that as long as it's convenient and no one gives you a hard time for being one, you'll show up on Sunday. But if everyone asks you about the hope you have in Jesus, you say, I don't know Jesus. If you're that kind of Christian, or if you're a bystander, you're here today because your spouse or your friend or you stumbled in here and you don't know what to make of any of this. Or you are an enemy of my God and my king. Jesus died for you. And all of us, all of us were and still far too often are looking for security in all the wrong places. But he knows his people. And the only way that he could bring about protection for you and thriving in the kingdom was to die on the cross for you. To use his power and come down to heaven and find his people for they could not find their God. So he came. We are sinners unworthy of life after death. In this week of Easter, too often we think about Judas Judas was a horrible guy. For those of you who aren't familiar, Judas was the man who betrayed Jesus. Judas Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus, and he was horrible. But every day, when we look for security in the wrong places, when we sin against God, when we claim and, and, and try to cling to things that are not of God, we are betraying our God every day. We constantly, fervently, even if we claim to be followers of Jesus, too often we are looking for security in all the wrong places. So whether you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior or not, he came to die for you, to use his power to descend and bring about thriving in the, in the kingdom and to protect his people. It's like this. Um, a few years ago, a number of years ago, I was, some of you have been to this place. I know the Lockwoods have been there and a couple of you have been there. I was in, it was in Southern Africa, hiking in the Matopo Mountains, one of the highest concentrations of leopards in the world. And I was told, this is the first time I'd been there, I was told that um, uh, leopards are more afraid of me than I am of them. Didn't really believe that, but 
eventually I did. And uh, I was courageous. I was 24 at the time. And onward, when else do you get to hike with, with where leopards live? And so there was this, this sheet of rock that, that just sloped straight down and then went into this valley. And there were, there were lots of trees and rocks and boulders and stuff in the Matopo Mountains. And so I was like, cool. Uh, but there's leopards in here. So um, I went down and I only hiked for about 50, 100 yards in and darkness was setting in and it wasn't dark yet. And I didn't want to go far because there were leopards and it was getting dark. And I, I could see, even when I was in the thicket, I could see the rock where I wanted to go. And, and as darkness began to set in, uh, I could see where I wanted to go, but I couldn't figure out how to get back. And no matter which way I turned, I felt like I was getting lost. And, and I started shouting. And the guy who lived there, my friend Dennis, could see me and I could see him. But I couldn't find my way there. And he's like, well, just look for the rock, look for the tree that's coming out of the rock. And like, and then when you see that one, just go around it and go up the, and you'll find your, and I was like, there's all kinds of rocks, man. It's dark in here. And, you know, I swore that there was a, a leopard that I heard, you know, like, I, you know, you're starting to get antsy and you get confused. So eventually what he did is, is what a good friend would do. He lived there. He knew the, he knew the way. He could see me and he came down to find me and brought me up in the darkness and up to the top of the hill. It's very kind, right? Even if you're a follower of Jesus, too often we, we have this view that like, okay, we, we, we've met Jesus. He's our Lord and Savior and we don't need him anymore. We can see him as long as we check in with him occasionally and then we'll just kind of scurry around. But when we need him, we'll, we'll look up and say, where, where is Jesus? But we can't find our way back unless we daily take up our cross and follow him. Daily. Jesus knows his people. And he knows that we're constantly looking for security in all the wrong places. And he wants to protect us. He wants to bring about thriving in his kingdom. The second reason. We had sinned against the king and death was the only option to make it right. In history, we see monarchies demanding a sacrifice for death often. Uh, one of my favorite, not favorite stories is King Henry VIII. And some of you know that one where he killed many of his wives for dishonoring him. God's appointed leader of the people of England, uh, the United Kingdom and, and, uh, of England. And he, he felt insulted by his wives for not producing sons for him. And so off with their heads. And he killed a great number of his wives because they could not produce a son for him. Now, of course, science tells us later that it was really his fault, the XY chromosome thing. Um, but either way, throughout history, there's tons of stories of monarchs demanding a sacrifice. Uh, and they were misguided. King Henry VIII was misguided. But when the king of kings is dishonored, he's worthy of a sacrifice. We have to make it right. We have to make it, if we insult the king, we have to make it right. And we have insulted not just the king, not just any king like King Henry VIII, who, you know, he's a, he's a powerful leader in history, but also a fool for killing all of his beloved wives. Uh, we, we have insulted and sinned against the king of kings. Let's read the story of Barabbas in John 18, 33, beginning in verse 33. It says this, John 18, verse 33, it says this. So Pilate entered his headquarters again, and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. 
what have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? That sounds familiar. After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And we learn in other gospels that Barabbas was a murderer and an insurrectionist. Not just a robber, but a murderer and insurrectionist. He was a bad dude. Barabbas was destined to die and be crucified. That was set. But Pilate was to release one person to the Jews every Passover festival. And the crowd chose Barabbas. It was just Barabbas or Jesus. That was the only choice. Barabbas or Jesus. But Jesus chose to let that happen to himself. Jesus chose to let the actions play out, knowing that it would lead to his crucifixion. Barabbas, a murderer and insurrectionist in that day, deserved to die by the rules of the land. The only way he lives is if Jesus allows himself to be killed. Of course, Jesus could have sent angels and legions of people. He could have uh, negotiated his way out. Pilate was saying, I find no fault in him. Pilate was looking for a way to get out of this sticky situation. He found no fault. And because if Pilate was, if, if, if there was no fault in Jesus and Pilate uh, was wondering, you know, is this guy God, the Messiah? Uh, I don't want to mess with that. But he didn't want to mess with the crowd. And Jesus allowed himself uh, to die. Did you know that in Aramaic, I didn't know this. I've been a follower of Jesus my, almost my entire life. It said, did you, know, did you know in Aramaic, Barabbas means son of Abba? Or son of the father. So in the place of Barabbas, the son of the father, the father's son, the son of our living God, Jesus dies so that Barabbas can live. I don't know if Barabbas goes on to live a life worthy of that sacrifice. I don't know. But I do know that our God and our King Jesus died for him. Like Barabbas, as people, as people who have sinned against God, we are separated from him and we need a sacrifice. God demands and is worthy of a sacrifice to bridge the divide between God and us. We had sinned against God and were divided from him. But whether you claim to be Jesus as your Messiah or not, it doesn't matter. Jesus died for you. And it wasn't that he died when we were ready and all set and we were worthy of his sacrifice. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knew his people and he knew his power and he knew that he was the only one that could make it right with the king of kings. The only one who could say, I as the king of kings and the one that's been offended and I'm going to say it is okay. 
I will take the sacrifice. I will do that for my people. I will use my power to maximum effect to protect my people and bring about thriving in the kingdom. And he's the only way. Let's read John 14.6. This is what that says. John 14.6. It says this. John 14.6. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Death was required. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus knew that he was the only one with the power to make things right. But you might say, Ryan, I'm not a murderer. Like, I'm a good person. I'm just doing my thing. Uh, I haven't sinned. I don't even know what that is, really. I don't need a savior. Like, I'm just trying not to offend people. I'm trying to leave the world better than I found it. Like, I'm just a good person. Well, check this out. Last summer, uh, I, my wife and I and my three little kids, we got invited to the White House. It was cool. So one of my best friends, his, his friend, uh, works for the vice president. And he invited us on a private tour, that, just a staff tour. It wasn't one of the public tours. And it was after hours. It was like 9, 10 o'clock at night. And we could stay as long as we wanted because, you know, we were with him. And it was so cool. Like, I have been a politics junkie my entire life. And it was cool to go to the White House for the first time. And I was there. And uh, we were in the Rose Garden. It was like 9 or 10 at night. I can't remember. We were there. And um, so, A, I was in the White House. B, I was in the Rose Garden. And C, it was nighttime. It was weird. And I just kept asking, like, are you sure it's okay that we're here? And he's like, no, you're with me. Like, I work here. It's fine. And, and then there was something that happened in the building. And the public tours had to leave because the president was coming back to the Oval Office. And we needed, to, we needed to move. We didn't need to leave the White House, though. Other people had to leave. We got to stay. It wasn't just that we could stay. We belonged there because we were with my friend. Every time, every single one of us, whether you have a hope and faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're all going to have to give an account for how, what, why, who brought you here to heaven? Who brought you here? Who knows you that allows you to not just sneak in, but belong as an heir, a son and daughter of the king? If the answer is no, you're going to have to leave. We're all going to have eternal life. The question is, where are we going to spend it? Are we going to spend it with the God who brought about all of his powers to maximum effect to bring about protection of his people and bring about thriving in the kingdom? Are we going to have eternal life with weeping and gnashing of teeth, separated from God? Whether you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, whether you are a murderer or just a good person trying to make your way in the world, every single one of us is going to have to give an account for the hope that we have in Jesus. Everyone. No one is immune. So the question is, who brought you here? Friends, this longing, this hole, this void that so many of us have of wondering, is there more to life than this? Even if you're a follower of Jesus, even if you've already declared Jesus as your Lord and Savior, too often, too often, we forget what Jesus did for us. In Jesus' death, and if he rises from the dead again and defeats death, as we will hear about next week, we could experience unfathomable peace that satisfies every crack in our groaning hearts. We, 
we have a king who used all of his power to maximum effect to descend from heaven to earth, to die, to protect us and bring about thriving in the kingdom. Jesus chose to die because his death was the only option to make amends with God. He was the only one to make it right. The last is this. A king would die on the cross to show us how to thrive in the kingdom. A king would choose to die to show us how to thrive in the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven and on earth. Let's read um, Luke 23. So we've been in John. Just go back one book. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we're going to go to Luke 23. Luke 23 and verse 32. And this is what that says. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, I would not want to go there. uh, There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentencing of condemnation and we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Even to his final breath, Jesus chose to die. He chose to use his power to come to earth, to live and die so we could be reconciled, that we could learn and live and thrive in the kingdom if we would claim him as our Lord and Savior. He chose to be scorned, mocked, punished, and crucified. He could, have, he could have put up a fight. We, we are talking about the God who made the heavens and the earth. And here he is being abused and scorned and mocked because he is willing to die for us. And that is what is required. And so often, friends, we get upset when people give us a hard time for being followers of Jesus, we don't want to post things on Facebook that might offend people about the hope and faith we have in Jesus. We don't want to pray for people who are clearly hurting and distressed at the airport because we don't want to be weird about it. There are people in our neighborhoods that are being abused and downtrodden and are poor and are hungry and are thirsty and are craving a true and living God. Something to live in, something to believe in, something to fulfill the loneliness that only God can fulfill. And we are offended. We are afraid of offending them. 
We serve a mighty God who came from heaven to earth to live and die. He put up with our scorn, our suffering, our poking, our prodding, our beatings to claim that he is our God. He is the only one who can use his power to maximum effect to bring about thriving in the kingdom. He chose to die for you. He is my God and my king. It's easy to say that in here. But God chose, Jesus chose to come to earth to die on the cross. The king of kings came to die on the cross that we might learn how to thrive in the kingdom here on earth. Where we live today. And this is what I mean. Right now, like on a colt riding to the cross, take up your cross and be humble. Your story is about what Jesus has done for you. Not, but, not what you have done for Jesus. Be quick to share how Jesus' death has changed you. Not how much you've done to bring about the changes. And if you don't yet know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he is the one you've been looking for. And he is the only option to reconcile you to God. He is the only way that this deep longing in your heart, that question, is there more to life than this? Jesus, King Jesus, is your answer. So like on a colt riding to the cross, be humble. Like Jesus for Barabbas, make your life a living sacrifice pleasing to God. As we lose power and influence in our country, or even if we gain it, followers of Christ should use their power to fulfill God's purpose for our lives as we lay down our lives for our friends, our neighbors, and our enemies. Like Jesus for Barabbas, make your life a living sacrifice, pleasing to God. As Christianity, we may lose prestige or honor, or our place in the world of shaping the zeitgeist of the day, the culture of the day. We might lose that, but sacrifice anyway. And if for some reason, culture is reconciled back to God, and there becomes a burst of joy and energy and hope and faith in Jesus, sacrifice still. Our stories are about God, not us. Not the powers of man, but the king who created the heavens and the earth and used all this power to maximum effect to come to earth, to die on the cross, that we might live and be protected and have thriving in the kingdom. So like Jesus for Barabbas, make your life a living sacrifice pleasing to God. And like Jesus to the criminals on the cross, like Jesus to the criminals on the cross, spend your every breath trying to reconcile others to God. Too often, friends, we fear losing power or being oppressed or scorned or mocked for following Jesus. But Jesus is the one that we've been looking for. We've just been looking in the wrong places and there's no other way to find the God that we seek except for Jesus coming to earth to live and die on the cross for us. So, do not be worried about the powers of man and the scorn and the mocking. We serve the mighty living God. 
And he came for us and he came for your friends. He came for your neighbors. He came from your enemies. King Jesus choosing to die on the cross for us shows us, shows us that we must not be people who have contempt for our neighbors and fear the powers of man, but instead to be people of prayer and peace, knowing that in Jesus' death on the cross, we have powerful testimonies of what God has done for us and what he can do for others. Friends, no one you encounter anywhere, in any time, in any setting is ineligible to receive the grace that we have received on the cross of Jesus Christ. No one. And so we should live like that is true because it is. We live in an increasingly, increasing age of fear and contempt. Fear of the powers of man and the oppression and how they're going to change our lives and how hard it's going to be to put our hope and faith in Jesus. But by standing for what is true, come what may, we declare to the world that we do not worry about the powers of man or the scorn of others. But we put our hope and our trust in Jesus. And that is hard. But in doing what is hard, we show the power of our God, our King, who used his power to maximum effect to protect his people and bring about thriving in the kingdom. In an age of fear and contempt, may we be people of peace and love. So why would a king choose to die? He knew his people. He knew his people. He knew that we'd be looking in all the wrong places for security. And he loved us so much that he wanted to show us the way. And he knows his power. He knows that we had sinned against the king. He knows that we had sinned against God. And only he had the power to make things right. And he wanted to fulfill his purpose to protect his people and bring about thriving in the kingdom. So he came to earth to live and die. So we can live on earth in a thriving way and our hope and our faith in the living God. And so that we can thrive with him and spend eternity, worship him with our lives. Jesus knows you. He knows your neighbors. He knows your friends. He knows your enemies. He knows the people you have not met yet. When they see us, may they see our God. God knows us. He made us. He used his power to protect us and bring about thriving in the kingdom. When people see us, may they see him. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much that you came to earth to live and die on the cross for us. God, this is such a shallow view of the depth of your love for us. But I thank you for our time this morning. In an age of fear and contempt, may we be people of peace and love. May all who see us see and meet you. Amen. Let's sing.